This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, Dr. Vic here. And before we get into today's episode, I wanted to just share with you about my upcoming book, Decoding the Matrix, coming out in May 2022. And right now I have a VIP list that I'm creating uh, that I would love to have you join. And what this is, is you're going to get a massive discount on the book and a ton of freebies. And it's only going to be available to those on the list. So if you want to looking for an amazing book to come out that's going to help you understand your potential, start your spiritual awakening, and really just see the importance and the value of who you are and what you bring to the table of being existing in this world and understanding how to not allow the matrix to tarnish that, then this book is for you. So check it out in the show notes. You can click on there and you can uh, go ahead and put your information in and you'll be put on the list automatically. I'll be sharing updates on the book. And you're going to, again, like I said, you're going to get an unbelievably massive discount for the book and a ton of freebies. So don't wait, check the show notes and click on the link and get signed up today. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Vic and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. Excited to have you on as each week we release a podcast about someone that we had a chance to interview to help share some aspect to life, to level up and so much more. This episode, I had the honor and pleasure of interviewing Dr. Shirag Shamasian, and it was a great interview. This is about Dr. Shirag helps a lot of college kids who want to become how to get into medical school, things they can look at, how to prepare, and those kind of things. So you may be listening to this. If you're a parent 
who has a child who's looking to get into medical school, definitely want to tune in and listen to this. But if you're if you're a kiddo, uh, kiddo, if you're someone who's looking to go to medical school and so forth, great, great podcast to listen to. If you're not, this still is a great podcast, because what I loved about the information Dr. Shirag was sharing was is it's very applicable to entrepreneurship or if you're in a career and so many other ways of how to allow yourself to stand out from others. And then also Dr. Shirag shares a little bit about his story of having Tourette syndrome, how it shaped him and how he doesn't let a personal challenge ever hold him back and the advice he gives and so much more. But any further ado, let me, before we dive in, Dr. Shamasian is the founder of Shamasian Academic Consulting and one of the world's foremost experts on medical school admissions, college admissions, and graduate school admissions. For nearly 20 years, he and his team have helped thousands of students get into medical school and top colleges using his systematic and propriety approach. Dr. Shamashian received his Bachelor in Science in Human Development from Cornell University. Despite graduating with 3.9 GPA as a pre-med student, Dr. Shamashian's interest in mental health led him to complete his PhD in clinical psychology at UCLA. Throughout his education and beyond, Dr. Shamashian successfully guided students into top colleges, medical schools, and graduate programs, and has found his professional calling in helping others achieve their educational and career goals. Dr. Shamashian's admissions expertise has been featured in various media outlets, including the Washington Post and the Business Insider. Moreover, he has been invited to speak at Yale, Stanford, UC Berkeley, and other prestigious institutions about various aspects of the admissions process. With no further ado, here is Dr. Shirag Shamasian. Dr. Shamasian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on. I know this is going to be a fun conversation, and I'm kind of looking forward to see where the wind takes us on this and just let it flow and uh, you know pick your brain and all the good things that you're doing. Um, and before we, we, we get into all that good stuff, um, let's go ahead. Tell me a little bit about your, your story of what your journey, how, what got you to what you're doing today? Yeah, I'd love to, you know, walk down memory lane here. So, you know, my parents are immigrants to this country and, you know, they were able to leave Lebanon during a civil war there in the seventies, you know, in part because my father was able to secure a spot in a master's program here. So my parents, you know, really understood the value of education and the opportunities it opens up for you in a, in a tangible way. And so when my brother and I were growing up, you know, they were expecting us to, you know, go to great schools and, you know, get a secure job. So essentially we can have, you know, a better life than, than they did, you know, the classic sort of story. But we, we found out, you know, as we were approaching college years and certainly graduate and medical school years that they didn't really know how to navigate, you know, how to make that happen, how to get into these top schools. Right. And so I went to a school also that was all Armenian kids. And so a lot of my teachers and my school counselor was an immigrant. So didn't necessarily have all the experience navigating things in the United States. And so I had to basically learn this process by myself. And when I was achieving success, a lot of people were coming to me for help and I was helping them. And then they were achieving success and telling other people and, you know, through word of mouth, it kind of grew. So I mean, quite frankly, this isn't something that I thought back in the day um, is, is what I would do professionally, but, you know, out of necessity for my own achievement and, you know, organically through word of mouth and things like that, it just sort of grew. And, and now we support, you know, more students than ever. So 
what I primarily do is we help people get into to medical school. Um, so every aspect of, you know, college course planning and extracurricular planning and, you know, interviewing and MCAT prep and all these different areas um, is what we focus on. We also help people get into top colleges, though our, our main focus is on healthcare careers. I love that. Do you guys do anything for chiropractors at all? You know, um, I don't recall assisting a student with a chiropractic application at the same time, you know, the same approaches that work for, you know, one healthcare career, they translate very well to other ones. So making sure that you're thinking through, you know, your path to that career, some of the most meaningful experiences along the way, you know, communicating your qualities that come up um, on an application and how do you write sort of creative, you know, autobiographical nonfiction with these admissions essays. Uh, I think it would be, you know, <laughs> it would be pretty, I think, comfortable for us to do. I, I, I could see because there is some crossover to a certain degree, although we don't have to take like an MCAT to get into yeah, chiropractic yeah. school or anything like that. But um, how is how competitive is the, you know, the become like I know like in, one time my wife was looking to be a veterinarian at one point and she looked at all the schooling she had to do and then the competition and she's like, you know, I love animals, but I just don't know if I love them that much. How, yeah. how competitive is the, the, to get into medical school and all that process? Insane in one word. Um, and it's getting harder each year. Um, so just to, you know, give folks an overall sense of how tough this is, you know, pre-pandemic, it was around, you know, 42% of people who apply actually matriculate into an MD program. And, and so most people who apply to an MD program each year don't get in anywhere. And then during the pandemic, you know, we observed a couple of things. One was, you know, the Fauci effect, meaning a lot of people were seeing the importance of, of healthcare workers and wanting to get involved in that way and seeing themselves, you know, caring for our communities um, throughout the course of their careers. And so there was an uptick in applications and that hasn't gone down. Uh, in addition to that, I think anytime there's sort of a, an economic downturn or people are thinking what they're going to do next and, you know, jobs are a little trickier to navigate, we see an uptick in applications. You know, we saw this in during the 08 crisis where a lot of people turned to, you know, schools for safe havens and, and what have you. And so, you know, I, have, I don't have an official numbers in front of me for the current application cycle, but I would predict that it's going to drop below 40%. And, you know, this isn't just like, 40% of, you know, the general population, this is 40% of very high achieving students, right? And so it's incredibly competitive these days. And on top of that, when you're trying to get into top programs, it's even more competitive. So, you know, at a given medical school, they can have, you know, sub 5% acceptance rates. And this is among ultra competitive applicants across the board. So there's a major you know, value here in getting professional support because you want to make sure that you're doing every piece right because it's a fairly complex process as far as writing essays, choosing the right schools, to get rec letters from, how to interview. There are different types of interviews, how to navigate wait lists, and so on and so forth. And you know, each of these areas, <clears throat> excuse me, um, offers an opportunity to stumble, right? You can do any of these areas wrong. But that also means you can do them right and, and gain an advantage over your competition. So we work hard to think through, you know, how do all these pieces fit together and how can we really help our students, you know, have an edge against their peers? I love that. But that, that's crazy. 5% will only get accepted in some schools. 
Yeah, I mean, so yeah, specific schools might have sub 5% acceptance rates across the board, you know, people who are applying to MD programs, it's going to be, you know, under 40% of applicants um, are going to get into even one program. So it's very, very tough. In other words, more, uh, more likely than not, you know, the, the average applicant you pluck from the pool will not get it anywhere. Wow. And so when we're looking at that, because you know, with MCATs and stuff, where's like the, the range they should be to like even give themselves a better, or let me, let, we can go that route or what gives the student a, a, a good competitive advantage? What are some like, uh, you know, let's go with MCAT first. What are they, where's like they would stand out compared to others and so forth? Yeah. So, you know, the way it works these days, because numbers are creeping higher and higher each year, we've actually found that, you know, numbers, you know, when I say numbers, I'm you're referring to GPA and MCAT scores. They're not really a differentiating factor, right? In essence, like if you have, you know, good numbers, that's great. It puts you in position for more competitive schools, but it's certainly not a, doesn't assure you of anything, right? So, just to put it in perspective, the average MCAT score for MD programs these days is around a 511 to 512. And, you know, folks who aren't in this space might wonder what the heck is a 511 to 512. We're talking somewhere between the 80th and 85th percentile. So the average score for people who get into med school is a really high score. We don't think of it as high because it's the average, but, but an 85th percentile score is actually quite high, right? You have to have performed better essentially than 85% people. And that's the average and up from there. So what's considered a good MCAT score? I mean, it depends on a lot of factors, what your GPA is, the strength of your extracurriculars, what some of your target schools are and so on. But you start thinking of a quote unquote, good MCAT score at around the 514, 515 plus, which is around the 90th percentile and then up from there. Um, And obviously the higher, the better. Wow. And so, you know, you got the MCAT, we're talking about, you know, things like that. What are other ways can students then be able to like stand out? What is, cause you know, there's, I'm just assuming it's been a little bit since I had to apply for a school, but is there like certain parameters uh, to, are there other, other parameters that they can work on to help, you know, get that little sure. ounce of just standing out compared to the, the average? Absolutely. Yeah. So really the differentiating factors become the fault. They're the, they're the soft factors, if we can call them that. So extracurriculars, right? So making sure to develop a, a deep profile. What do I mean by that? So a lot of medical school applicants, they see it as a checklist. Okay. I need to get X amount of shadowing hours. I need to get Y number of patient exposure hours. I need to get, you know, Z number of research hours and so on. And if I do that and I get certain stats, then I should be fine. But it doesn't quite work that way because you have to differentiate yourself as far as showing certain qualities, whether it's leadership or an incredible level of research achievement and so on. And so you want to be in activities for a long period of time and show increasing achievement. So let's say, you know, you want to make research your sort of primary, your shtick, right? When it comes to extracurricular as well, I want to see increasing development, be there for a number of years maybe start a new initiative in your lab, like a data science core, or take on an independent research project and become the first author on a publication. Maybe use that, you know, to develop initiatives within the community where you're taking the work that you're doing in the lab and educating the community and develop a close relationship with your, you know, with the professor who runs the lab, because they're also going to write a great letter for you. So 
people who not just do something, you know, if you're just going to clock in and clock out, that's not going to impress anybody. But if during the time you're working, you're really taking the bull by the horns and, and pushing and, you know, showing increasing impact, that's how you're going to stand out. And so you don't have to be, while it's important to get, you know, hours across every area of experiences, whether it's patient exposure or research or service, one or two of them should become your specialties. And it's important to think of which one or ones might be your specialty earlier on so you can spend a disproportionate amount of time there. And making sure that across experiences, there's cohesion, right? So you want to, if you're working in one sphere, let's say you're working with kids with autism, uh, and that's the kind of research that you're doing, you know, neuroimaging in the brain for kids who are developing autism. Okay. Well, maybe your service work in the community is around, you know, reducing mental health stigma. Maybe your, you know, patient exposure work is helping, you know, parents of kids with disabilities identify and secure services, you know, things like this. So, so there's, you know, it, it sort of surrounds a central theme because then when you apply, you're sort of known as, you know, that guy or that gal, I call it right. Where, Oh, which, who's that one? Oh, that's the guy who did X, right. In the same way, you know, as an entrepreneur, you don't want to be, you know, Dr. Manzo, who's that guy? Oh, he's the, you know, the chiropractor. He's also, I think he has a baker. He's a baker. He makes great baguettes and he does his podcast. And he also, I don't know, does leather work. You know what I mean? Like you want to make sure that Pete, you're known for something. And that really matters in med school admissions. And so when you take all of that and you take what you've done extracurricularly and also the, the rec letters where they're corroborating what you've said about yourself and also, you know, you're writing in your own essays, uh, all of those, when they come together, that's a really powerful application. Wow. A lot of good nuggets here for people to definitely uh, adapt with that. And so then and so to wrap it up, then it's kind of like you, you want to be, you know, focused on a couple things and just be try to build that reputation off that um, rather than like having generalities to a lot of other things. Correct. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Beautiful. And so <clears throat> when it comes then to prepping for, for students and so forth, and even for parents who may be listening in on this and maybe their child wants to become a medical doctor or so forth. What is, uh, when should they like, when's preparation? When should they start preparing for this process and start, you know, thinking, okay, here's my game plan or what I need to do so I can stand out and so forth. Mm-hmm. So really early on. And, you know, we start working with students as early as, you know, the second semester of high school when they're about to you know, head off to college and plan ahead about, okay, what do I do? You know, the summer before college, what, you know, what courses do I take across these four years? What extracurriculars do I participate in? All these different areas are very key, right? Because the, the earlier you start a, the more time you have for exploration, but B, the more deliberate you can be. And I sort of liken it to a funnel where in the beginning, it's okay to explore a little bit more different areas of medicine and different areas of service you might want to get involved in. But as time goes on, you want to niche down, right? Because if you, if you want to apply to medical school, let's say straight through. So you apply between your junior and senior year of college to begin med school right after senior year. It's not that much time. You basically have three years to develop this whole profile. And so if you, you know, come to it at the end of sophomore year and you say, all right, time to get serious. Well, you only have a year to catch up on lost time and chances are you're not going to be as strong and you might have to take a gap year or two or three, who knows. 
So I always encourage people to, to think through it early and not to, you know, be, you know, inflexible about different opportunities that might come up, but by starting early, you have the advantage of time and you have the advantage of exploration. And, you know, then over the course of the years, you'll be just fine because also students tend to struggle academically when they transition from high school to college. We see a lot of students who, you know, go to high school, they're, you know, big fish in a small pond. All of a sudden they go to college. They don't have homework every night. No one's checking their assignment book. Um, they have to, they have to have more initiative, right? No one's keeping them accountable other than themselves. And so some students really stumble their first year. And by thinking through, okay, how do we give you an appropriate level of challenge in your first year academically, where, you know, you're, you're growing, you're understanding the rigors of college, but you're sort of protecting yourself from taking on too much because, you know, students join all these different clubs, take all these classes to try and get it out the way. And they think that, oh, just because I got all A's in high school, that's what I'm going to do in college too. But it's a whole different experience. And so if you stumble early with you, with your GPA, you're going to spend the next several years playing catch up. We don't want you to play catch up. We want you to have a, a very deliberate process from day one. I always say you want to start off as strong as you possibly can. So that way you have, you, you're creating cushion to, mm-hmm. if you have hiccups along the way. Exactly. Love that. And you're, what you're explaining is my first college experience too. When I went from high school, I go to undergrad and it was like, I was like, hold up here. This is actually a little easier than high school to a certain degree. Sure. Um, Cause you don't have anyone, like you said, no one checking up on you. Uh, don't have homework every day and stuff like that. And I was just like, I kind of figure out what the heck am I going to do with this time now? Uh, because high school was like, yeah, I had to crank this down playing sports. I'm working and doing all these things and mm-hmm. trying to juggle through that. And then undergrad comes and it's like, I'm okay. I only have how many hours a week? I got to go to school. All right. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. Very yeah, interesting. Absolutely. And it's, it's, and, and so, so I, you know, I like anything else. It's always sooner the better, in other words, when it comes to these things, because the way you're kind of explaining it is kind of like taking me back to when I was playing baseball and I was trying to figure out me and a buddy of mine, we're trying to see what do scouts look at when it comes to being scouted and Mm -hmm. uh, then in figuring out all the little cues, because it wasn't just, oh, you're very recognized and, you know, for the high school team you play or whatever, there's like certain, there's like basic parameter foundations that we should have. And as long as we have those and we're strong there, uh, performance is important, but not as important. Uh, It is and not to a certain degree, because if we're fast, we can hit, we can do all these other things. Things, then it's like, hey, we can mold this person. We can we can work with them to get to that certain point. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, so, any other? So, if, when it looks at, is there any curricular extracurricular activities that stand out better than something? You know, is it like is sports really great, or is? I know you're mentioning some things a little bit about research and stuff like that. Sure. Um, what are some things that like stand out more? Or could be like a list that you can share. Mm-hmm. So when it comes, it's a great question because so in, within the pre-med community, there is a thought that top medical schools are quote unquote research schools, whereas other schools are clinical slash service schools. And so sometimes students will, you know, they'll go all in on research if they're aiming for a top 20 or top 40 school. And then other students who aren't as interested in research, they say, well, I'm just going to go to a clinical school. But then they forget that every medical school is actually training clinical physicians, regardless of how much of an academic orientation they have. And so there are a few must-have extracurriculars. These are non-negotiables. The the four non-negotiables are as follows. Number one, research. And this is in no 
particular order except the fourth one, which is which is less important. I'll get to that in a moment. So research is number one, whether it's through an honors thesis you do on campus or an extracurricular where you join a lab and you know, you're pursuing academic work for a number of years. Again, independent research projects, publications are very impressive. Uh, number two, patient exposure, direct patient contact. So where you're the one who's actually doing the care provision, you can do this as an EMT, as a CNA, so or as an MA, so medical assistant. You can volunteer in hospice. If you like mental health, you can work out a suicide hotline or a crisis tax line, so long as you're the person involved in care delivery. Okay. The old, the old adage, it sounds kind of weird uh, in the pre-med community is you want to get so close to the patient that you can smell them. That's what people say. I know it sounds weird, but the thinking there is you're actually there delivering care. Okay. And this is different from physician shadowing, which I'll get to in a moment. So the third area that's a, that's a non-negotiable is service. Uh, community service. This can look like anything. It can be medically relevant or not medically relevant. So not medically relevant might be, you know, uh, tutoring students um, from, you know, underserved communities or whatever the case might be. It can also be providing nutrition education um, to people who are living in, you know, food deserts or, you know, to certain patient communities that might be struggling with chronic disease. Um, things like that. So it could be medical or not medical. And then finally, the fourth area is physician shadowing or physician observation. And that's where you're observing a doctor do their work in a clinic, in an operating room, in a hospital, doesn't matter. And so the physician shadowing is, is a must have, but it's not, you know, while you have to have it, it doesn't impress. So you want to have, you know, 50 to hundred hours of observing physician just to show the schools that you know what a doctor does. And, and so if you cover these four areas, then you have the must haves. But again, as we talked about earlier, it's not about checking boxes. You want to have sufficient depth in one of the, the three primary areas of research service or patient exposure work. But then beyond that, are there specific extracurricular activities that are more impressive than others? Again, again, technically, no. So, you know, if you love sports or cooking or photography or whatever the case might be, like those are nice to have as far as showing that you're a person, right? And you have curiosities and uh, you go deep in areas outside of medicine too. And because remember, they're also recruiting people that they want to spend time with, that they like to be around. That said, obviously, not all participation in those extracurricular areas are considered equal. It's one thing for me to say, I enjoy playing basketball, you know, and I, you know, I go to the school gym every day and I play pickup or I'm on the, you know, that kind, or I'm in a rec league versus I'm a D1 athlete, right? So if you have something where your commitment level is greater than your peers, that's going to impress med school admissions committees because now you're developing an extracurricular profile in the pre-med space that, you know, is just as impressive as your non-athlete peers. And you had this incredible time commitment. So if I'm doing research, patient exposure and service work, and I'm a D1 basketball player, well, it was harder for me to do all those other things because I was training every day and traveling and whatnot. So that does impress. You know, same thing in other areas. Maybe I'm not just like a, an average photographer. Maybe I started a, you know, a photography business to help out my family. And, you know, I have 
a certain amount of exposure or whatever the case might be. So it's not just about, ooh, if you play violin, they like that, or ooh, athlete, they like that. It's how deep, how impressive is your participation in that activity? Nice. So yeah, because I also want to ask, I was gonna be like, because when we were first sharing these things with the service and the the, the, the patient exposure and research, I was like, okay, this has so uh, uh, someone who's a, a three or two two sport athlete, um, that would be okay to a certain degree. But he's these are the non negotiables to make sure that they do those things. Correct. Awesome, love that. Um, good stuff here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of change gears here just a little bit. Um, I'd love to tap into a little bit more. But you, I was reading about you how you had Tourette syndrome. And, uh, curious to know, you know, the, one of the questions is, you know, how it shaped you and, uh, it, I'll, I'll leave it with that first. How, how that, how that play a role in your life? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's an active thing. Um, you know, that's something, so Tourette syndrome for, for folks who aren't familiar, it's essentially characterized by having motor and vocal tics. So these could be, you know, like a slight shoulder shrug, shrug all the way to, you know, a whole face grimace to, you know, an arm flailing out or whatever the case might be the, the stereotypical, you know, symptom that you'll see on TV is someone, you know, saying curse words uncontrollably or something like that, even though that's a highly rare symptom. And so I was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome around age eight or nine. Uh, you know, I don't remember the, the exact time, but somewhere around there. And, you know, I still have, you know, facial tics and, you know, I do, <laughs> I do the shoulder shrug or, you know, maybe tense my wrist or something like that. And, I mean, it's been highly influential. Um, you know, you asked the question, you know, Vic, in, in the past tense, like, you know, how did it shape you? And I think it's an ongoing thing for me because, you know, when I was younger, we didn't know what it was, right? And so my parents aren't doctors or anything like that. We actually saw various doctors at the time and it took seeing like three to four professionals before, you know, someone said, oh, this is what this is. And they were right. And, and so first of all, that, you know, highlights the, the value of expertise in a field. Right. I think sometimes when we're thinking through, I know you, you talk to, you know, entrepreneurs and, and things like that too. And oftentimes we don't understand the value in our expertise, but that one physician who was trained in this specific area, she spent literally 30 seconds and she's like, oh, it's that. Right. So it wasn't about the time spent. It was about the impact that she made and the expertise that she had. And so it was hugely influential because again, I grew up in, in the Armenian community in Los Angeles. And, you know, there was a lot of unknowns and mental health stigma and all this kind of stuff. And so people, you know, thought it was just a bad habit that I couldn't stop. I mean, my, my parents thought it was a bad habit initially. Um, I had teachers who thought it was, and, you know, they used to tell me to stop faking it or that I wouldn't amount to anything because I'm making excuses and all these kinds of things. And so that combined with, you know, the teasing that you get in middle and high school, um, that was hard, you know, that was really hard. And, you know, realizing when you look at, literature about how, you know, so many kids with Tourette syndrome end up not going to college, let alone pursuing dream careers and stuff like that. I, it sort of taught me that you have to believe in yourself and, you know, even when others don't necessarily, right. And how, if you buy into the stories that other people are saying about you or the perspective about you, they're sharing, if you buy too much into that, you might not achieve, you know, at the level that you want. And so, I sort of compartmentalized what people said and, you know, it was a bummer and I would certainly get sad about it when I was growing up, but I never once stopped believing that I was, you know, just as capable as anybody else. And one of the things that I always try to tell students is, 
you know, a lot of students will, you know, go on discussion boards and forums online about, you know, my stats are X, Y, and Z. Can I get into medical school or I have this condition and how do I talk about all this kind of stuff? And usually the, you know, the, the rhetoric around our admission space is always pretty pessimistic, right? I know so-and-so who had these grades and still didn't get in, you know, it's random. We're all screwed, whatever the case might be. Or, you know, I have this condition and I've been told I shouldn't talk about it, even though it's been very meaningful to me. So I think my, my goal, um, you know, through having Tourette syndrome has always been to empower students to actually believe that what they're, you know, what they want to do is possible because even if you're highly capable, but if you don't believe you can do it, you're either a not going to try or b not put forth the same effort that you otherwise would have. And I think that's a travesty. And so I hope that in sharing a little bit about my experience growing up with Tourette's syndrome and, you know, my, my experiences achieving success with the admissions process and getting, you know, incredible amounts of scholarship money and things like that, that other people can say, Hey, like someone who, you know, uh, you know, had, had this blemish, if you will, or someone who had this disadvantage, if they can make it happen, perhaps it's possible for me too. And I sincerely hope that if we can even just plant that seed in people's heads of maybe I can do it, you know, despite what other people think or what I'm reading, that nugget of, I think it's possible. I think that, you know, can, can trigger a whole series of, of wonderful changes in someone's life. And, and that's why I talk about it so much. No, I love that story. And, it, and, it, and it's, it's so true too, because sometimes we let labels, you know, and I see this uh, being a chiropractor working with, I work with a lot of pediatrics uh, and so forth. And, um, you know, kids who have autism and stuff, we work with a lot of them. And it's, it, sometimes it saddens me when I hear a kid come in and say, yeah, I have autism. And I'm just like, that, don't let that label, you know, in my mind, I'm saying to myself, don't let that label define you, you know, like, and I'm like, if I can somehow influence the child to not let the label define them. And to have them get, understand that it's just, you know, it's just a thing that's going to help give you get, give you an opportunity for more, um, like, you know, if you, like who you are today would not have in, in the characteristics and all the resiliency you have and all these other things wouldn't have happened if you didn't have the syndrome to help you. To, exactly. You know, to overcome, right? And that's one thing I, I, I share heavily on is about that, not just with, you know, if, if it's autistic, with anything, like when I work with ADHD kids, I'm like, well, I'm just ADHD. This is what I am. Or if I'm working with a teenager that has it, I'm always like, you know, that's a gift. Like I, I'm undiagnosed ADHD. I, I was a wild child. And uh, as I got older and went to chiropractic school, I look back and go, how did they miss that one? That makes so much <laughs> sense. But then I started studying and looking at ADHD children characteristics and what do they have? Most ADHD kids have higher IQs. Um, they're very good at multi uh, playing in different. They're good at sports, but usually multiple sports at one time um, and, and, and things like that. And I'm like, there's gifts in it. And if we can just minimize the negatives and you can understand that there's this is here to help you in some way, shape or form. And that's for the individual to, to define what that means for them. Then all of a sudden, it's a whole entire shift in their life because you were saying or sharing earlier, like sometimes it's a travesty to see someone let a label hold them back and never succeed in life. And just to pick your opinion on that, why why do you think sometimes it is where like for yourself, you're like, no, I never believe that I'm going to continue to you know to go on, move forward and, and, and go go forth with things where some others don't. They get stuck with that and they get locked in that fixed mentality of it and let allow that to hold them back. You know. I don't know is the, is the honest answer of, you know, why, why some people, you know, get that, 
label and, and buy into these negative stories about what they're you know capable of or what they will ever be capable of versus other people who say, okay, I have this thing and I'm going to do it anyway. You know, a lot of times when I've spoken with people, you know, they, they fall into different camps. You know, some people just had a really wonderful mentor or a person who was inspiring to them, right? So if they had the one teacher who believed in them, the one coach, the one family member, whatever the case might be, that was enough. I know for me, you know, it was, my parents were different. You know, my, my dad was always concerned about, you know, this is a bad habit. What will other people think, et cetera. My mom, once we found out what it was, she never flinched, right? Like she, she was like, oh, you're just as good, you know, like, so that was very meaningful to me. That was very motivating for me. So I would say, you know, if any parents are listening to this or anyone else out there, or, you know, think through like who actually believed in you and how powerful was that? Um, because I found that to be very, um, you know, very influential for people. And when you don't have that kind of person, either, you know, a role model or someone who just genuinely believes in you, no matter what, that's going to be harder. I mean, for me, you know, frankly, part of my way of, you know, dealing with this and continuing to achieve despite obstacles was, was anger. And I don't say this, you know, I'm not necessarily proud of this. But I always, you know, okay, if, if people said something like, oh, you know, I don't think you're going to achieve or you're making excuses, whatever, that always lit a fire in me. Like, okay, I'm going to show that guy, you know? And so I would work my tail off to, you know, prove them wrong. Now, the reason I say, I don't know that I'm proud of this is I think on one side, it's great because, you know, that was highly motivating. And to this day that, you know, that kind of thing lights a fire in me. Um, I don't, I think it's in some ways not healthy because at the end of the day, that person who just makes a passing comment, you know, they don't care once you make it happen. You know what I mean? So you have to find motivations other than, you know, proving people wrong, um, not just for achievement, but also for your own satisfaction, because you also don't want to be in a position where, you know, you're proving people wrong and, you know, doing all these great things, but then you're sort of, I don't know, you're, you know, no, it's not like anyone's like, you know, praising or in other words, you shouldn't live for other people's praise, or you shouldn't, you know, be ultra bogged down by other people's criticism, you have to find intrinsic motivation for doing these things. Otherwise, you're going to be perpetually, you know, unsatisfied. And but if there are ways in which you can channel, you know, outside voices or, or criticism or whatever, the, you know, whatever it might be for you, and turn that into a positive thing, I think that could also be powerful. I think when I think students who struggle and professionals who struggle, a didn't have anyone who believed in them or didn't have a role model like them who who achieved, but also folks who you know buy into negative messaging really easily. Like, oh, I guess maybe they're right. If that's your first thought, that's dangerous because you really have to dig deep and figure out, okay, why does this even matter to me? You know, who am I doing this for? And, you know, that should serve as a foundation for, for what you do. I love this. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on this. I think one of the big factors, I think, is having that, that person until you build that confidence, um, having that one person to be an influence for you uh, in many ways. And you're taking me back to memory lane. And I bring baseball up a lot because I've played for mm -hmm. 25 years. And it was, I remember when I was in grade school, it was kind of that thing where I was just this average player. And then I'll never forget eighth, seventh, eighth grade. 
I had a coach who believed in me and he worked with me. He, he, he invested his time into me and I became an all-star that I was all-star. I was an all-star before, but I think it was just whatever. But this time I was like, man, I earned my spot to be there. And then high school came. It was one of those things where freshman year had a great couple of co- two coaches who helped support me in my way. And I had a very wonderful year, top prospect, all these things. And then sophomore year comes with a new coach and uh, he's like, you know, you, he, he wasn't supportive at all. And it really, I, I was shocked how I couldn't play good baseball in high school. I was, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out, but then I go play semi-pro uh, outside of high school and yeah. it was one of the things where I had very supportive coaches and I'm like an all-star killing it. But then I go to high school playing there and I, I just can't do it. Like I'm not, I didn't have an interest into it. I didn't have the support there. You know, got, both guys can be negative to each other and pick, you know, and all those kind of things. And it just didn't have that same support system. And it was, it to me, it showed me how powerful having a support system works because I got to see that in my own life where here's where I didn't have it. And then here's where I did. And it was just massively two different outcomes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then you brought up another great point too, it's that intrinsic value, right? It's one of those things where we have to, you know, somehow, I love how you brought up like the, the you know, having that motivational factor for yourself. Uh, it's one of those things I used to utilize a lot myself. Like if I get angry or I get upset from somebody saying something, I would channel that and put it into something positive. But um, after a while, when you didn't have anything, then you're kind of like going, all right, what do I do here? Mm-hmm. Um, or when you're trying to compete and you use competition of others to level up to where you are. And then when you keep climbing and then there, you get to the top, then it's like, uh, what's next? What do mm-hmm. I do now? Rather than finding those intrinsic values and saying, well, I don't care where I'm at. I don't care where this is. I just care about doing this and being hyper-focused on that. Mm-hmm. That kind of resonates to what you were saying. Absolutely. Because you have to, you know, you have to decide for yourself. You know, ultimately, no one's going to make the decision for you of what you ought to do. No one's going to actually put in the time every day. So, you know, you got to get clear on what it is that you want to achieve and how you want to, you know, leave your mark on the world. Otherwise, you're sort of going to be blowing in the wind. And, you know, hopefully you have people in your life who believe in you. Um, but and but if you don't or you don't have role models in your sort of day to day life, find them, you know, find them in books, find them. Um, you know, and people out like, you know, celebrities or entrepreneurs or wh- whatever the case might be, right? Someone who to, to help give you that drive, because without it, it can get, you know, really lonely fast. For all the listeners out there, that's how it was for me. I didn't have mentors growing up and I used books and uh, videos. I mean, well, back then, not too much videos, uh, but audio stuff and whatnot. Nowadays, I think it's so much easier because you have podcasts and you have videos and people have books and there's just so much ways to uh, get access to find mentors yep. in some way, shape or form. Absolutely. Doc, this was great. How can people connect with you, find you and follow you with all the work you're doing? Visiting our site is the best way. Shamasianconsulting.com. Uh, I know it's a bit of a mouthful, but I'm sure you'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, and it's very easy to get in touch. So there's a contact link uh, in the top right corner of the site, and you're welcome to send a message whenever, and that'll you know directly reach me. And I would love to connect with folks who, you know, might need assistance with admissions or you know have questions about navigating Tourette syndrome or what have you. I've recorded a video on you know my life with Tourette syndrome as well. If folks would find that valuable, so. This was such a treat and I really appreciate you having me. Doc, it's all my pleasure. Thank you for all that you're doing. And I mean, yeah, we talked about how to, you know, helping students get into medical and stuff, but medical school and whatnot. But I really feel too that 
a lot of the information there people can apply in their life and 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 in many different aspects career business entrepreneur and so much more sure. so uh, appreciate what you're doing and thank you taking for taking some space and time to uh, join us here at the mindful experiment yeah this was awesome thank you thanks for tuning into the podcast if you found this episode to be inspirational pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this if this is your first time tuning in please follow us connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode and until next time keep rocking and rolling Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.